0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God.
1: Good morning, church, and uh, welcome to those joining us on our iCampus in this service as well, those joining us on the radio uh, right now. If you have uh, your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. And as you're turning there, you know, when I mentioned last Sunday that they were going to begin to put uh, the steel up on uh, the new uh, sanctuary outside, I had no idea they were going to move as quickly as they have. I don't know if you saw that as you came in uh, today, but they are flying out there. And um, the building is really beginning to take shape, and uh, several folks sent us uh, some neat pictures that they took throughout the week. This was one of the pictures that was sent in uh, that I thought was uh, pretty cool, and you obviously see the, the form and shape of the cross there made uh, with the steel, and then if you look closely in the background, you can see the little white cross that's on the top of this building, and I love that because uh, whether we're worshiping here in this building or whether one day we're worshiping in that building, uh, it is all about the cross, Uh, The message does not change. It's the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, I'm glad that you are here today on this fifth and final week of this Greater Things for the Next 100 series. Uh, Our church was planted back in 1921, which means this year is our 100th anniversary by the grace of God. And we're going to be celebrating that uh, in December and a little bit even next January. But in these exciting days, uh, we have the opportunity uh, to impact uh, the next 100 years if uh, the Lord should tarry that long. Now, This past five weeks, uh, we've really been on a journey together uh, of just talking together about the vision the Lord has given us, not only a vision of expanding our facility, making room to share the gospel with more of our neighbors, but a vision of planting churches, beginning with a church plant later this year in the Grant-Malabar area. And so with that vision in mind over the past five weeks, we've been calling our church to pray, uh, to seek God, to ask God how he's leading each of us uh, to grow and to go and to give for the next 100 We've had a series of VIP nights, hundreds of you have come, and I'm thankful that you have come and been able to put your mark, put scripture passages down on the foundation blocks and on the footers. So there's scripture all over this building that is beginning uh, to go up. Uh, We've had family devotion nights over the last few weeks, seeking God's direction for our individual families, and now uh, we come to the culmination of this five-week journey where today is our Commitment Sunday. At the end of this service, we'll have the opportunity to make whatever commitment the Lord is leading us to, uh, to grow and to go and to give. Uh, But before we do that, we have uh, one more opportunity to look at this incredible message uh, from the lips of our Savior Jesus that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we've looked at a different portion of this uh, sermon, Uh, over the last several weeks. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today we're looking at a portion that I believe is a very pertinent, very applicable uh, portion uh, from our Savior to where we are as a church right now. And so let's read it together. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 18. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus said, "'Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men,' Reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard. For there are many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly father we thank you today uh, for this portion of your word for this message from our savior to each of us as your disciples father would you help us to hear your word today Father, to take it into our hearts. Father, would you change us by this word that you've spoken, that our lives may bring you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel on a mission trip to Ecuador. And my wife, Megan, went with me. We took our two oldest sons on that trip, Silas and Micah, And on the last day, we had an opportunity to do a little shopping as we were headed back to uh, the airport just to pick up a a few things. And I remember we came upon a table there on the side of the road uh, where a gentleman was selling sunglasses. And on these sunglasses, if you lifted them up, they had the distinctive O of the Oakley brand, and he was selling them for $10 dollars. I felt this was a remarkable deal to be able to get these Oakleys for $10. Of course, you know that you cannot buy Oakleys for $10. That's because they were not real Oakleys. They were fake Oakleys or what I like to call Focleys. But I uh, purchased them anyway, and I very much like them. I like my fake Oakleys a lot. You know, there's times where we like things that are, even though we know they're fake, even though we know they're not real, it's kind of like my favorite Mexican restaurant in all the world, Taco Bell. I'm aware that it's probably not authentic cuisine, not the highest cut of beef that they use. I understand that. But sometimes we like things that are not real. But you know, when it comes to his followers, Jesus wants the real thing. Jesus doesn't want phoniness, doesn't want pretension. He wants people whose hearts are truly given to him. And he sees our hearts. He knows the reason why we do the things that we do. He knows we might have a hundred reasons for the things that we do, and perhaps none of them have anything to do with bringing him glory. He talks about that in these verses. He calls out hypocrisy for what it is. And he isn't speaking about hypocrisy in general. You know, oh, this person, they're such a hypocrite. They said this, they did that. Not talking about, he's talking about religious hypocrisy. It's talking about people who do spiritual, religious things, but don't do them for the right reasons. And so on this particular day where we're stepping out together and we're committing together to do some spiritual things over the next three years, I think it's important today that we take to heart what Jesus is saying. It's important that we search our hearts and make sure that we're not playing the hypocrite, but... Rather, that we're doing what we're doing for the right reasons. And so with that in mind, there's a few resolutions I believe we need to write down and make together as a church on this day. Here's the first resolution. As we commit together to the Lord, church, let's do what we do for his glory alone. Let's do what we do for his glory alone. You know, you cannot read this section of verses without noticing that Jesus is not just concerned with what we do, he's concerned with why we do it. We've seen that every week in this series, that Jesus' highest concern really has to do with our hearts, our hearts being right before him. That's what this sermon is about. And so over and over in these verses, he draws a contrast between those who do what they do to be seen by men so that other people will see them and think, what a super spiritual person they are, versus those who do what they do for God alone to see it and reward it. And he gives three illustrations in these verses to drive that truth home. He talks about giving and praying and fasting. We're going to look at each of those in turn. But first, in verses 1 through 4, he says to us, When we give, we (laughs) we need to give for his glory and not for our own. Look at verse 1. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, somebody might say, You know, hold on just a second. Didn't we just read uh, back in Matthew chapter 5? And we studied it just a few weeks ago. Didn't we read where Jesus said that we're to let our light shine? that we're to do good work so that people could see those good works. Now, how come here one chapter later now, he's saying that we're not supposed to let people see when we do a charitable deed. Which one is it? And of course, it's both because Jesus says both of these things. And really, it has to do with the situation and it has to do with our hearts. I love how one person put it. He said, you know, when we're tempted to hide what we're doing... We need to show it. And when we're tempted to show it, we probably need to hide it. And and, and both of these instructions, the key is that we have a heart whose desire is to bring God glory. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, when Jesus said that we need to let our light shine, that people might see our good works, it then says, so that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's the heartbeat behind it. Not that they would see us and glorify us, but that it might point them to glorify God. Here, Jesus is speaking about our giving. And he says, when we give, that's an act of worship. And we should not try to rob the glory uh, for ourselves that really should be going to God through that act of worship. Again, it's about having a heart that wants to bring God the glory in everything that we do. In verse two, Jesus talks about a group of people who did not have that heart group of people that really did want other people to see them and wanted to receive the glory. Look in verse 2, therefore when you do a charitable deed do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Uh, The idea behind the phrase do a charitable deed really is the idea of giving and particularly in this context Jesus is speaking about almsgiving. He's speaking about giving to those who are poor, to those who are needy. And notice that Jesus assumes that we're going to do that. He doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. But he says when you give, don't give like these people. And then he begins to describe people who announce their gifts with trumpets. And this is where we get the phrase don't blow your own horn from. Right, and, and there are some people who say that the Pharisees actually did this. So they actually hired trumpet players to go in front of them to announce that they were about to give a gift. Now, presumably, uh, they would have said that they were doing that so that the poor people would know that they should come because they could get a gift. But as John Calvin pointed out, that was just a ruse. And certainly in their heart, the desire was that everybody would know that they were about to make a gift. We don't know for sure whether they did that or not, but either way, this is a pretty comical image that Jesus is painting here. And you may not be guilty of that. You may have never hired a mariachi band to go in front of you before you uh, gave something away or did something nice for someone. But you know, we have other ways of violating the principle that is in this verse that are more subtle than that. And we have ways of kind of you know letting it slip of what we did or what we gave or how much we sacrificed or how committed to the cause we might be, sometimes do not come from the right motivation, the right heart. All that is needed is just a comment, a casual comment to a friend, a Facebook post here or there. It doesn't matter about the method. What Jesus cares about is our heart, and he wants us to give from a different heart. And he describes that in verse three. He says, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, If you're uncoordinated like I am, there's a lot of times you don't know what one hand is doing versus the other, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is typically for a right-handed person. When we do something, we do it with the right hand right? We reach out our hand. If you reach out your hand to give a gift or to do something, you're reaching out that right hand. And he says, as you reach out your right hand to give something, make sure that your left hand doesn't even know what that right hand is doing. In other words, not only does Jesus not want us to announce what we're doing to other people, he really doesn't even want us to announce it to ourselves, what he means by that is when we make a gift, after we pray and we've done what the Lord has led us to do, he doesn't want us to sit around thinking about that, dwelling on it, congratulating ourselves on what a generous, sacrificial, wonderful Christian that we are, because all we're doing then is instead of giving for his glory, we're really just giving so that we can feel good about ourselves. We're robbing that glory just in a different way. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't think about what others think of you. Don't think about yourself. Think about God. Give for God and give for his glory alone. He wants us to be self-forgetful as we give our gift. And so today as, as we give our gifts, as we give our pledges of what God has led us to do over these next three years, I pray that we would have the same kind of heart, that our our left hand would not know what our right hand is doing. We're not giving to impress others. We're not giving to impress ourselves. We're giving for the glory of God. Jesus talks about that's the kind of heart that we need when we give. His second example is about when we pray. In verse five, he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Jesus says again in this section, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, that word hypocrite that he uses in Jesus' day, that same word was used to describe actors, and particularly in that day, actors did not so much wear makeup or costume makeup, they wore different masks. And so the same actor might play three or four different characters in a drama or in a play just by changing out the mask that they wore. And of course, that's not a problem. That's not an issue at all if you're watching a play, right? You expect that the person is acting. You expect the person is pretending to be something that they're not. But Jesus says there is a problem when we do that in our spiritual lives. When we put up a mask and we pretend to be something that we're actually not on the inside. Jesus says that's what these folks were doing even as they prayed. And there's nothing wrong with, of course, praying. And, and these, the Pharisees, they, they were known to pray three hours a day. They prayed at set times, three times a day. Certainly nothing wrong with praying for an extended period of time. There's nothing wrong with praying at set times of the day. After all, that's what Daniel did in the Old Testament. He prayed in the morning, at noon, and at night. But there is something wrong when we pray with this kind of a heart because Jesus says, I know your heart. I know that when you stand up to pray in the synagogue, when you stand up to pray on the street corner, that you, the, what you love about that is that other people see you and other people think that you're holy. There's two errors that Jesus says we need to avoid when we pray. The first is trying to impress other people. And that's what these guys were doing. They just wanted to be seen by others Our prayer life is not supposed to be about impressing people. It's supposed to be about talking with our God who loved us and died to save us. That's why Jesus says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, Jesus is not saying here that we can never pray publicly, that we can never pray in worship, that we can never pray with other believers. In fact, all of those things are talked about elsewhere in the New Testament. But Jesus is speaking here about our private prayer life, and the implication is that that should be where we do the vast majority of our praying, is in private, in our closet, our inner room, what Jesus calls the secret place. And I love that. I love that expression, the secret place, because, you know, you can only see God with the eyes of faith. And so if you think about it, when we as believers meet with God, we're meeting with God and the way that we meet with God is really a secret to the rest of the world. I think about prayer as being like the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia that only a few children knew how to find. It's a secret doorway into the presence of God that only the faithful, only those who know Christ, know how to find the entrance. Jesus invites us to go there. He invites us to meet with him there in that secret place. We don't pray to impress others. We also don't pray because we're trying to impress God. Sometimes we can fall into that trap. In verse 7, Jesus speaks about that. He says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think they will be heard for their many words. He's speaking about those who do not know God and and maybe perhaps even worship a pantheon of gods and they speak just the same words mumbling them over and over and over in the hopes that one of their gods may hear them. It reminds me of that story in 1st Kings 18 in the Old Testament where Elijah and the prophets of Baal did battle on the top of Mount Carmel. And you remember the prophets of Baal, they were muttering these same prayers over and over and over for hours all day long, trying to get Baal to hear them and burn up the sacrifice. But Baal didn't hear them because of course Baal couldn't hear them. And if you remember, my favorite part of the story is where Elijah basically starts to make fun of them, right? He says, maybe you should talk louder, right? <laughs> you know, keep it up. He, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's occupied, right? He can't answer the phone, right? And so he's, he's mocking them because they're, they're praying, but they're not praying to a God who is real. They're just saying the same words over and over. And, and Jesus says, you don't need to do that. When you pray, don't think that your prayer is measured by your word count. But God is impressed by the more words that you utter. In verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Now, when we read that, we, we shouldn't think, oh, well, he already knows what I need before I even ask him, so so why should I ask him? Because Jesus also tells us that we're called to seek, to knock, to pursue him, to come before him in prayer. He wants to hear the desires of our heart, but he doesn't want us to just repeat endlessly, at nauseum, the same thing over and over, uh, like those who don't know God do, as if the hundredth time we say it, God will finally understand what we mean. He already knows what we need before we even came to him in prayer. We don't pray to impress him. We don't pray to impress others. We pray to talk with our God. So far, Jesus is told us what we need to do when we give and when we pray. And then if you skip down to verse 16, he tells us what to do when we fast. In verse 16, see, he said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Again, notice the words here, when you fast, not if you fast. Jesus assumes That fasting will be a regular part of our lives as Christians, but I think that in many cases in our lives and even in our churches in the West, this is something we've almost entirely let go. There's a lot of reasons why that is the case. That's probably a whole sermon in and of itself. I I think one of the reasons why in general churches have let fasting go is because it's not a very seeker-friendly thing to do, right? Right? to be a church that talks about fasting all the time, right? You know, come to our church. Uh, we don't eat, right? That doesn't, doesn't really draw in the masses, right? And, and in general, just even on our own hearts and in our own lives, that's not something we just kind of naturally gravitate to in our flesh. And so it's easy just to kind of distance ourselves from it. And yet Jesus calls us to do it. Multitude of reasons in the scripture why we're called to fast. As a spiritual Discipline. But in this case, Jesus is speaking about people who were fasting, were fasting very regularly, and yet, like they did everything else, they were doing it for phony reasons. They made it very obvious that they were fasting because they wanted people to know they were fasting. They put ashes on their head, and they wore sackcloth. And so, you know, people could see them coming, right? You see this guy walking down the street, he's wearing the equivalent of a burlap sack. And you're thinking, wow, I mean, that that guy hadn't eaten in days. I mean, that guy is obviously super holy. I mean, he must love the Lord. This guy doesn't even eat. He looks terrible. What a spiritual giant this guy is. Jesus says, if you want to do it that way, then that's your reward. The the reward is people think you're a spiritual giant for a couple seconds. But if you want something else through your fasting, if you truly want to draw closer with the God of the universe, then you need to fast in a different way. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, Verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, he wants us to get up, to get dressed, take a shower, put on some deodorant. That's a good thing for middle school boys to do even when they're not fasting, right? That's just a good life lesson. But the point is that we're not fasting for other people to know it, we're fasting for God. Now, we don't want to be super legalistic about this, right? It isn't, well, if somebody, you know, finds out that you're fasting, you know, the whole thing is worthless. There might be even a time where the Lord might lead you to share that with somebody, maybe to encourage them. Maybe you're fasting and praying for them. Again, in the end, it's about our heart. That our heart is in the right place as we fast. That we understand that the prize in our fasting is not other people and their opinion of us. The prize is God. It's a closer walk with Him. It's His heart. All three subjects, giving, praying, fasting, Jesus' point is the same, that we do it all not for the glory of man, not for the glory of ourselves, but for the glory of God. And so church, I pray today as we turn in these commitment cards where we have written down on these cards the ways we believe God's calling us to grow and to go and to give, I pray that as we turn in those cards today that we would not do it for man's glory, for man's praise, that we would do it for God's glory. That's our resolution. Do all we do for his glory alone. Here's a second resolution we need to make as we commit together today. Let's do what we do, not only for his glory, but also for his reward. For his reward. Over and over in this passage, Jesus talks about those who are hypocrites, those who are pretenders, who do what they do to be seen by men. And he says a couple of things about them with regard to rewards. One thing that he says is there at the end of verse 1. He says, when you do that, when you play the hypocrite like that, he says, if otherwise, he says, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he says, if that's what you want to do, just understand that there's not going to be any reward coming from the Father. The Father sees your heart. He sees the motive behind what you're doing, and he says, I'm not going to reward that. Then the second thing that he says, which is interesting, I believe, is at the end of verse 2, after talking about the people who hire the trumpet players, to go in front of them before they make their gift, Jesus says this. He says, they have their reward. Well, this is what I alluded to just a moment ago. In other words, they have the reward that they wanted. The reward they were after was other people seeing them and thinking they were holy. And they achieved that, right? They they got that. They have their reward. The reward they were after is the reward they got. What's implied in that is there's not going to get any other reward other than that. Right? So that's all that they were. And so the question really for us is what reward do we really want when we give and when we pray and when we fast? Even today, on this commitment day, what reward are we after as we commit to grow and to go and to give? Is it so that other people will think we're spiritual? If, if it is, there's probably a way that you can achieve that even today. But I pray we're after something more than that. A reward that only God can give us. And in all three of these sections on giving and praying and fasting, Jesus speaks about that reward that comes from God alone. Look at verse 4 as an example of that. Jesus says that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. That word openly is not in the oldest Greek manuscripts of this passage, but nonetheless the point that Jesus is making is clear. Jesus will see us. He will see what we do. He says that the Father will... Reward us. Now, to be honest, we don't know everything that is entailed in those rewards that come from the Lord. Uh, Certainly, one of those rewards, one of the aspects of that reward, is, is here and now. And every believer in this room who has ever done anything for God from a pure heart has experienced that reward. And that reward is the pleasure and the favor and the smile of God upon your life and upon that action that you did. That was for his glory. It's a spiritual reward which this world knows nothing about and cares nothing for, but is a priceless gift to those who know Christ. But there is certainly also an aspect of our reward which is to come when the Lord returns. And we find that throughout the New Testament. The Bible speaks about crowns and responsibilities in the coming kingdom and, and so on. Again, we don't fully understand all the aspects of these rewards, but we know who they come from. We know they come from our perfect Heavenly Father, and so we know those rewards will be fit, those rewards will be exceedingly gracious, and the promise of those rewards is meant to encourage us and spur us on to live for the Lord in this life. In fact, even in the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, Jesus speaks these words, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is Is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so, church, let's make sure that even today we do what we do, not for man's praise or man's reward, which is fleeting and temporary, but we do it for God's reward that comes both here and in the kingdom to come. Finally, as I thought about this text this week and where we are as a church, as we make our commitments today, there's a third resolution that we need to make together. Church, let's do what we do with this prayer on our lips. And by this prayer, I mean the Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray in verses 9 through 13. Notice, by the way, in verse 9 that he says we are to pray in this manner or in this way. Now, what is ironic is that many Christians all over the world will pray this prayer numerous times a day, word for word, And sometimes without thinking about what they're actually saying and what the words mean. Which is precisely what Jesus just got done saying that we're not supposed to do. To pray with vain repetition where we're not thinking about what we're actually saying to God. Now certainly there is no problem with praying this prayer word for word as we think about these words that we're uttering to the Lord. But primarily, Jesus gives us this prayer as a model of how we are to pray, as a template for prayer. These are the types of things that we should be praying. And mainly, this is the kind of heart we should have as we pray, as we come before God. And that's certainly true all the time. It's true for us as individuals every day of our life. We should pray with this heartbeat. But It's also true for us as a church on this particular day, in our church's history, as we make these commitments before the Lord for these next several years. I I, I believe it would honor God if this prayer would be on our lips today as we commit together for the next 100. First off, Jesus says, address your prayer to our Father. We should never forget what a privilege it is that we get to call him Father, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, The great I am, the one who was and is and is to come, we get to call him Father. Reminds me of that beautiful verse that John wrote in 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we know the only reason we can be called the children of God is because of what the Son of God, Jesus Christ, did for us. That he died for our sins on the cross and paid for them with his own blood, with his own body. That he rose again on the third day. And it's because of what he did, what the Son of God did, that we get to be the sons and daughters of God. We get to call him Father. Next, Jesus said we are to pray, hallowed be your name. We declare this truth when we pray. Your name, oh God, is holy. The word holy means to be holy other It means to be set apart. It means to be pure and good and righteous in all of his ways. We know that God is higher than the heaven. There is no one like the Lord. It reminds me of that scene in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah was given that glimpse of the throne room in heaven. And he saw these angelic creatures that had six wings. Remember that? With two, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they flew. And all day long, all throughout the day and all throughout the night, they were declaring over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as we think about that truth being declared by those who are most intimately in the presence of God, That truth should be in our hearts and on our lips that we see him and regard him as holy. And then we pray as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the part of this Lord's prayer that I believe should be most on our lips today and in our hearts in this season as a church. As we commit today to go and to grow and to give, we do so with a prayer of your kingdom come. As we build and continue to construct this worship center right outside these walls, we need to remember we are not building something that's for our kingdom because First Baptist Melbourne does not have a kingdom. Right? We're a part of the kingdom by the grace of God. And it's, it, it's his grace that has even enabled us to be his sons and daughters, to enter into the service of the king. What a privilege it is that we get to preach the good news, that we get to invite other people to come to know this king. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're building this building. That's why we're planting churches, is because in our hearts, our prayer is, your kingdom come. Now, we long for the kingdom to come in all of its fullness, which will happen when the Lord Jesus returns. But until that day comes, we understand that the kingdom comes in individual lives when people meet the king. When people who have Jesus has died to save, meet him in a saving way, and they bow their knees to the king, and the king comes to reside in their hearts. The kingdom comes to them, and so when we pray, your kingdom come, that's what we're asking God to do. We say, your will be done. We need to submit all of the plans that we have as a church to his will. We believe he's put it in our heart to pursue this goal of planting 10 churches in the next 10 years. But even as we pursue that goal in faith, we do it with this prayer. Your will be done. If his will is for five churches to be planted, your will be done. If his will is for 50 churches to be planted, your will be done. Lord, just let us be faithful to you in this generation that you have given us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray, feed us, Lord. And again, on this day, particularly as we think about this area of giving and and sacrificially giving to the Lord, even though we don't know what the next three years holds for us, only he does. And so we give to him with a prayer that says, Lord, you are the one who meets all of our needs. And so, Lord, would you feed us? Would you provide for us? Would you meet our every need according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus that you've set aside? Father, we pray also that, that you would give us what you're then calling us to give back to you to bless your name and to invest in your kingdom. We pray, feed us. And then we pray, forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Even as we step out today, again, to grow and go and give, we know after we've done everything that God has called us to, be, called us to do, Jesus said we should still say we are unprofitable servants who have only done what is our duty. We know that we are sinners. We know that what we have is not what we deserve. What we have is because of his grace and his mercy in our life. We know that we daily stand in need of God's grace. Every single day we fall short of that perfect standard of holiness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, forgive us for our trespasses. Make us more like Jesus every day. And we know also that those whose hearts have been forgiven by Christ— are those in whom their hearts, they should have the grace of forgiveness that flows out to other people. Jesus speaks about that in these verses as well. We pray, Lord, feed us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us. We want to honor the Lord not only with going, if he calls us to go, with giving as he leads, but with our spiritual growth above all. Because we know that it's by authentically living our faith out in front of our friends and neighbors that the greatest impact is going to happen. And yet, we also know that we are all tempted every single day to fall. Every single one of us has weaknesses in our life, chinks in our armor, so to speak. And Satan knows where to fire his flaming darts at those weak areas. And so every day as we go out into this world, we pray, Lord, deliver us. Lord, protect us. Lord, we say, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you because I don't want to sin against you. I want to honor you. I want to live a life that brings you glory. I want to honor you when I'm around unbelievers. I want to honor you when I'm around your saints. I want to honor you when I'm all by myself and nobody sees what I'm doing but you. And then finally, the prayer on our lips today is this. It's all yours and it always will be. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I realize that that last phrase on the Lord's Prayer is not in many of your English translations that you're holding in your hands. It's because it's not found in some of the oldest Greek manuscripts. But the truths that are expressed in that phrase are found all over the New Testament. Here's one example that comes to mind, Jude 24 and 25. We read this, Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. These are fitting words for us to have in our hearts today as we pray. As we, as we pray today, this, this is our prayer. We say, Lord, we're praying for greater things for you to move with great power for your glory here in Melbourne. We're asking you to do something unusual here in Melbourne for the sake of your great name. But even as we ask that, Lord, we know that yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. And we don't ever want to be guilty, Lord, of taking glory that belongs to you alone for ourselves. Because the glory belongs to you, God, not only for the next hundred years in our church, but for the next billion years, forever and ever and ever. You alone, Lord, are worthy of all glory and all praise. And we've talked about praying today. But I want us to take time now to actually pray together. I've invited three leaders, three special leaders in our church to come and lead us in this time of prayer. I'd ask that they would come and join me on the platform at this time. And I've asked that they would lead us in three specific prayers for these three words that we've been looking at in God's word over these weeks. That the first would lead us in praying for how we are to grow. The second would lead us in praying for how we are to go. And the third would lead us in praying for how we are to give, and that all of this would be done for God's glory. And so, church, would you join in prayer with these three as they lead us? And let's stand together as we pray today, as
2: these three lead us. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come into your presence this morning, you are holy, and you're worthy of our praise. Father, we are so thankful that we are your children and you tell us to call upon your name. And Father, you are calling us as a church in these three particular areas as well as others, but Lord, to to grow, to go, and to give. Father, we pray that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ each and every day. Father, we know that we need to grow in Christ's likeness Lord, that Jesus would increase in our lives and that we would decrease. Lord, in our thoughts, our actions, our deeds. Lord, that we would totally surrender to you, that you might fill up our lives and grow us into who you are. Father, we realize we need your word and we thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to abide in your word, to hear it, to heed it, to obey it. Father, call us to come to you in prayer crying out to you and trusting in you, believing in you, knowing that you are the God who fights our battles and goes before us. Father, help us to come together as your church, as your people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in our large gathering and in our small groups, Lord, to, to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to good works. And Father, as we grow us in you, Help us, Lord, to grow in our compassion and our love for those who do not know you. God, help us to remember that we, too, ourselves were dead in our trespasses, and you have made us alive in Christ Jesus. So, Father, help us to grow in sharing your word in love and in truth uh, to others. And, Father, help us to walk along beside them when they come to know you, that they might grow in Christ, that they might have models and examples and encouragement uh, so that you might be Fully Lord of their lives as well as our lives. Uh, Father, call us forth, Lord, to serve here in this church, in this community. Uh, Lord, to extend the name of Christ to wherever you would lead us. Uh, Father, we realize that your word says that Paul watered and Apollos, or Paul planted and Apollos watered, Lord, but you gave the growth. So we realize, Lord, that we need you today to lead us, to guide us, direct us. And God, we yield ourselves to you and we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory uh, for completing the good work you have done in our lives, God, so that again that we might grow and go and give. God,
0: we just thank you that you are a God who pursues. God, even from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 3, when when Adam and Eve hid from you in their shame and their sin in the garden, God, you sought them out. God, like the the father of the prodigal's son who saw his son and ran down to embrace him. God, you pursue us when we want nothing to do with you. God, you pursued us in Romans when it says we were your enemies. God, you died for us. And we're just thankful that you would love us in such a way. And God, at at the heart of this, is that we would be redeemed for your glory and to join you in this work of reconciliation, God, that we would go with you, behind you, to those who need to be reconciled to you. God, for those who are far from God to be brought near to you. I just pray, God, as, as we just think through greater things, God, The the, the weight of the call to go, God would just weigh heavily on us. God, that we would in in a time of of uncertainty, in a time of of not knowing what the future holds, in a time where it is makes the most sense and is the most comfortable to just stay put, God, I pray out of this church you would you would stir in hearts and minds an unquenchable desire to go to pursue, to join you in your work, God, in, in several places, God, around the world, God, that you would just let us say yes to following you to the ends of the earth so that all people would hear your name, would hear the name of Jesus. God, we also pray that even in our area, that as, as we're growing, as we see the potential of a a new facility to reach people, God, that even in the midst of that, you would call and raise up people from this church to go and to start a new work where you're bringing people by the thousands each year, God. We pray that you would just stir in our hearts today this desire to go and be a part of a church plan. And God, God, I pray that even if we if we're on the early steps of that if we're just feeling that twinge or or reading passages and just thinking that you might be calling us god you'd help us to explore that and 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 even come to an interest meeting to hear about how we can um, learn more about that god we just are thankful that you allow us to work with you god that you empower us to work for you and we just pray that that we would be known as a church that when called upon, we will go on mission with King Jesus. We just thank you for everything that you are.
3: Father, we're so grateful that we're able to be called sons and daughters of you. And Father, you're such a giving God. Father, you gave your son he gave his life. Father, you give us great gifts of family, church. Father, you give us our, our bodies and our minds, our intellects that help us earn money, provide for our families. Father, you give us your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us through our lives. Help us to remember that you're such a giving God. And Father, you're also a faithful God. Your word promises that you'll order our steps if we trust in you. That you'll take care of us, Father, even more than the sparrows and the lilies, you'll meet our needs. And so Father, help us to have that faith in your promises. Father, help us to walk by faith. Help us to live by faith. And Father, help us to give by faith. To realize, Father, that it's all a gift from you. And your desire is that we honor you with with our gifts and give them back. And Father, as we, as we give to you, Father, help our gaze to shift from the things here on earth, our possessions, our stuff, the things that we have that you've given us, and help our eyes turn towards the things that are eternal, the treasures in heaven that your word talks about and help us to, as our eyes follow this, Father, help our hearts to follow this too. Because your word says where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. So Father, help us give our treasures to you, our time to you, our talents to you with an open hand. And Father, as we do that, we know that our hearts will follow. And we know, Father, that that's what you really want is for us to give our lives to you. And so we pray that we would do that as well. And as that happens, and as we grow and as we go, Father, over the next three years and over the next many years, maybe even a hundred years, that we will make an impact here in Melbourne that we will do so much greater things through your power. And we will give you so much praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.